Hello and welcome back. This is episode four of the Bald Bull and Gold podcast. I am Alex Donovan, joined as always by Ian Waller and Tom Slevin. Uh, we have a bit of a different show for you guys today. Obviously, it's kind of a weird time right now for Notre Dame Fighting Irish. For the first time in you know, recent memory, we're sandwiched between not one, but two bye weeks. And I like to think of bye weeks the same way I think of bald spots. And it's kind of like, you know, with a bye week, you know, all you want is to watch Notre Dame football play on Saturdays. And no matter how you try to fill that void, whether it's changing channel, trying to watch another game, doing chores, hanging out with your friends, it's not going to do it. And just like bald spots, uh, you can put a hat on, you can use Rogaine, uh, you can try a new hairstyle, but it doesn't change the fact that there's a bald spot, just like the fact that we cannot change that we have two consecutive Saturdays without Notre Dame football in the heart of fall. But, you know, we're going to try to put a hat on this podcast, in a sense. Uh, we're going to have pretty good discussion about college football, some Heisman talk, how many yards would Ian Book throw for in Mike Leach's offense, and then... We're going to get into kind of a more extended uh, discussion of the questions you guys sent in. Once again, thank you for that. And then finally, we're going to end with our picks uh, for the week ahead in college football. Some pretty good games on there. So with that being said, let's get started. So last week was pretty fun, though. You know, we finally had the SEC back. Saw some upsets for the first time. Uh, what was your guys' biggest takeaway from? I guess is it week four now of college football? Yeah, it's it's week four for some. It's it's week zero still for some others. It's just a wacky week. Slav thoughts? Negative six for the Pac-12. <laughs> <laughs> um, my biggest takeaway is like like we said in the intro and in, in the beginning part of each podcast that we recorded for the last few weeks is the Pac uh, the Big Twelve is still bad uh they had a really rough weekend uh getting oklahoma getting beat by kansas state uh texas who was supposed to be my lock of the week um really struggling lubbock was not promising i think the only team oklahoma state looked better but still not great uh the only team that actually really convinced me that that they uh that they were good was baylor and i still don't think that should be the top of that should be the top of the big of the uh, of the big 12 so that was the biggest thing that kind of stuck out to me. It was uh, a very poor weekend, another poor weekend for the Big 12. Yeah, the Big 12 commissioner has to freaking love 
that Texas onside kick that they recovered because it just kept some sort of relevancy for them in the national yeah. landscape. But Texas deserved to lose that game 10 times over. I mean, there's no shot that they should still be undefeated right now. And usually, you know, I, I always want those Giants to fall, especially early in the season because usually Notre Dame's battling some other teams like that for a spot in the playoff or a New Year's Six Bowl. But I didn't, I'm, like, I'm not worried about Texas. They will lose down the road, I think. Um, Texas Tech made them look small, especially defensively. Like, if, if Texas Tech did that to them, Texas is not going to go undefeated, and I don't think there's anything Notre Dame has to worry about. Yeah, I don't want to put the I, real quick. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but like the October tenth slate. So not not this weekend, but next weekend. That's one of the biggest games on the slate is going to be Texas Oklahoma's Red River, River rivalry. I mean, that could put that could elevate Oklahoma to a, to a one loss and Texas to one loss, or bring Oklahoma down to, to to two losses. And so I think I think that'll be kind of a kind of a marquee game for Texas to see what they're really made of there. Um, but sorry, go ahead, D. Yeah, well, honestly, in that game, I think Oklahoma will cook Texas. I think their pass defense is horrible. But at some point, like everyone out there has to stop giving the Big 12 the benefit of the doubt just because they put up a lot of points. Right, exactly. Like Defenses are horrible. They've been exposed in the college football playoff pretty much every year. They've never even come close to, you know, beating a team that's ended up winning at all. It's – no, it's honestly got to be frustrating for a one-loss SEC team that gets left out, Big Ten team, whoever it is, to know that those teams just don't play one of the three phases of the game. When was the last time you you guys sat there watching a Big Twelve game and said, "Wow, this is this is good football"? Like you can say maybe it's entertaining football and there are good players, but I can't remember actually saying, "Wow, I'm 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 seeing good football being played right now." Because it's no. it's just it's just a shit show every single game, and it's awesome. It's awesome to watch, but it's a shit show. I see, I see fun football, and you know what? I do actually. Occasionally, I do see. You know what? No, I can't even say that. I, I was going to say maybe when 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 one of the upsets happen, and the team that's not supposed to win has a good game, but that's not really even good. It's usually the usually the usually the Oklahoma's and the Texas of the world playing down to playing down to pretty bad competition. Um, so yeah, it's it's fun football, but I wouldn't say it's good football. I, I kind of have a take on this. I think the majority or at least the biggest percentage of the Pac-12 players, they come from Texas. And in Texas, you know, you have – it's football's year-round sport. There's seven-on-seven seven in the offseason. I mean, the main goal is to put up points and look flashy. You know, they're not practicing physical football. They're not practicing defense. They spend so much more time on, you know, those passing elements and putting up points in the offseason, which is why they have had good quarterbacks. I don't think anyone can really deny, you know, the – Kyler Murray and the Heisman winners coming out of Oklahoma, but I just think that, you know, their development is too much time spent in the culture of, you know, seven on seven being flashy, not caring about defense as long as you cook the DB on the next possession. And I think, you know, that's what happens in the college football playoff. They finally face physical teams that spend most of their year hitting each other and uh, comes back to bite them. So is that why is that what you guys think? Because I'm always watching these these Big Twelve games. I'm like, why can't one team just figure it out defensively and then dominate the rest? Like if one team figured it out, like, like a pass rush is non-existent in the Big Twelve. Like they they end up dropping eight anyways and rushing three. I don't know why. Like I don't know if it's a lack of defensive coordinator talent or actual lack of talent on the field. But I can never really figure out why one team can't just put put together a competent defense in the Big Twelve. Yeah, to, for to me, to me, it really it, 
begs the question to be like, what would it, what would it take for for uh, a defensive minded coach to step into the big to the Big Twelve? Like, I guess the university and the athletic department would be taking a chance, but what happens if you throw a wrench into the, into into the fabric of that and, and you, you you roll with a defensive coach who's going to recruit defensive players? I think it becomes a very interesting case. I'm not sure we'll, I'm not sure we'll ever see it happen, but I'd love to see what would happen. I feel like the last defensive-minded coach there was Stoops, right? Stoops at Oklahoma, and he he, yeah. he ran a pretty solid team. Yeah. And even then, if you're a defensive coach, if you're an up-and-coming coordinator in the SEC, Big Ten, or even ACC, I know ACC is a little more sporadic than those other two conferences, but why would you want to move from those conferences where there's slower pace of play, less, you know, less of a passing attack that's downfield and not as focused on explosive plays where you're more grinding down. At the very least, your statistics in terms of yards given up, you know, yards per play are going to be better. Your stats are going to look better for your next job, you know, when you're staying at the Big Ten school that, you know, where you're trying to win 10-7, then you can say, oh, I gave up seven points. Well, yeah, the other team ran the ball 45 times with three yards of carry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely not a desirable job to, to take over, you know, the Texas Tech defense. But uh, somebody has to do it. I mean, somebody's going to lock into a good defensive coordinator at some point. But yeah, and I think it would, they would have to come from the group of five. Um, yeah, because 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 I, I agree with I agree with you that you're not going to be in a rush to leave a DC spot in the SEC or the, or the Big Ten to rush to a DC spot in the, in the Big Twelve. But bottom line, they suck. That yeah, they did, that, that whole conference is trash. Yeah. <laughs> do you know who didn't look like doo-doo? Who I didn't expect this year. Well, the SEC, but first of all, the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, yeah. They, they impressed me. Yeah, they, uh, they look good. Who did I see? I saw somebody put them in their uh, their playoff as like as oh, the fourth seed. One of the ESPN guys, I want to say, did yeah, that. one of the college game day guys. I think maybe yeah. Devin Howard. Um, He's been known to do radical things like that. Yeah, that that seemed a little bit extreme. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a. Uh, I think people like people keep asking, "Is the U back?" No, I don't. I wouldn't say the U is back like the two thousand or two thousand one team was back, or the, or the, the way they existed. Uh, I think it's going to take some time to for that to be the case. But I mean, right now they're a contender for sure. Um, they're and Donna, you mentioned you met or you mentioned to us earlier that the the ACC is beginning to tear itself off. Um, just getting to play some games in conference and seeing who who lies where, and I think that to start the season at least it was Clemson was in the top tier, Notre Dame was in the next tier, and then kind of everybody else fell in behind that. You know the UNCs and 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 such of the world. But I think I I don't know if I personally buy into it 100, percent but I think you can make a very good case that Miami has elevated itself into the second tier, uh, right there with Notre Dame, right behind Clemson. I think there's a lot of football to be played. We'll get. You know, we'll get more information next on October 10th when they get to square off, and then when Clemson comes to South Bend. But uh, yeah, I think you can make a very good case to say that Miami's moved up into that second tier in the ACC can be a contender. Yeah, I mean, I, I, sorry, Dono. Um, yeah, you're right, Slev. Like that, that argument could be made. I don't think I buy it yet. I, I, I think they have they have great talent. I don't trust Manny Diaz as a coach. Yeah, I, well, I mean, anytime you have Deer King at quarterback, you know he's dangerous. He's the best quarterback they've had that I can remember, honestly, at least in our generation. Uh, but 
at the same time, you know, it's still Miami. We, it's still like, yeah, I think, I think we learn a lot on October 10th. Honestly, I think they kind of get exposed. I think this might be a little bit of the effect that also happened in 2017. Obviously they came spanked us in hard rock, but then, you know, two weeks later they lose the pit. So we, we know Miami has a talent that they can get up for big games, big rivalries. It definitely seems like they had something to improve against Florida state, but Overall, you know, we'll see how much of that is real in a couple of weeks. I was thoroughly impressed. I just thought that that like that was a thorough beatdown of Florida State. Yes, it was personal, and yes, it's a rivalry game. Um, but they, but I mean, they look good, really good on all sides of the ball. So yeah, there's just something to keep an eye on there. But yeah, let's let's talk AC, uh, SEC because that was that was a fun week, fun opening weekend. Mike Leach in the SEC is fun. It is fun. It is fun. I don't think anyone was – they probably knew it was going to come oh, yeah. in. Oh, yeah. Time, but they had nine rushing yards but passed for well over 600, beat LSU mm-hmm. in Death Valley. Yeah. I, I mean, it, yes, Mike Leach, if you were to tell me there was a coach to pass for 600 yards in Death Valley, I would probably say Mike Leach is the guy. I would never have said KJ Costello is the guy that was going to do that for you. Watching him at Stanford – I mean, I thought at best he was a game manager. I never, ever saw him slinging the rock more than 30 times a game, and Leach has him there throwing 65 times a game. It's awesome. It's great to see. So we got to see him play out on the farm and, and in South Bend, and I agree with you, and I just never saw him as more than a game manager. Um, but for him to come out in, in, in Death Valley and throw for 623 yards and five touchdowns, given that he did it on 60 passes, but – I mean that's still a really really good day, um, and he and they and they used everybody, uh, everybody they could in the receiving game. I know they have a really good running back. His name, his name Kylan is Kylan Hill. Kylan Hill. He's a beast. Kylan Hill, and uh, I, 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 it's it's a, it's an interesting case study there because it's like how are you going to recruit somebody to come play at Mississippi State, a running back, a feature running back to come play at Mississippi State? Um, well, Mike Leach just made the uh, if, if, if you're going to pass it all that many times. Well, Mike Leach just made the case this weekend to say that, hey, look, um, you'll come, you know, you'll get a few carries, but trust me, you're going to be a big part of the passing game as well. Um, and you know, when you see more of that in the NFL, I think you can make. I think people are going to be. I think Mike Leach can be able to make a very compelling case to, to SEC, tar, you know, SEC targets, SEC recruits to, hey, come come play with us. We, you know, we're gonna we're gonna feed you the ball, even if we're gonna pass the ball sixty times. Yeah, that was that was a, a really great game, and it's really tough to say it's it's week one for the SEC. I do think, like, I still think it's more of a – I think it was more of a sign that Mississippi State is for real than uh, LSU is bad because I know LSU lost a ton of guys from national championship team, but, I mean, they still they still have talent. We know they're well-coached, um, but Bo Pelini got shelled. Yeah, he was <laughs> without his best defender, though, too. Yeah, he, they were. They were. Uh, but so, and that's what I'm saying. I think LSU will bounce back. Um, but yeah. Mississippi State is there to play. And that's and that's a fun thing in the SEC because we've been kind of dying for just a touch more parity in the SEC for, for a little while now. And if we can get four or five teams up there that are really battling, that'd be awesome. I think an, another team that looked good, that's going to be in a, at least an SEC East race till the end, is going to be Florida. I mean, mm-hmm. they put up a ton of points. I think their tight end – made a strong case, you know, against Tommy Tremble. I think it might be those two going up for the award at the end of the year. I think like, he had four touchdowns, so he might be ahead of him by now. But yeah. that was pretty impressive. You know, they also look like they have a quarterback. Honestly, I think that 
uh, Tremble is going to really need to pick up his pace in a big way for him to keep track, keep, uh, keep pace with this kid, uh, Kyle Pitts. I mean, 170 yards and four touchdowns, uh, Tremble's good, but I mean, he's going to need, he's going to need a lot more. He's going to need a lot more production to be able to keep pace with him. But yeah, Florida, Florida, Florida looked really good. They, uh, they put up, oh, they put up a fifty burger, um, and I thought Lane, in Lane Kiffin's Lane Kiffin's debut with Ole Miss. First of all, those powder blues are sweet. They are every week. Just give us those Lane Train. Just give us those every week, and I think he will. Do you see, he walked off the bus in the powder blue yeah. baseball jersey. Yeah. That was such a sweet look. Um, but yeah, I thought they looked really good. I th- I didn't think Ole Miss looked that that bad, I, but I think Florida's Florida's a real good team. Um, I think they'll give up some points, but. Um, I think they'll be able to batten down the hatches when necessary, and, and they have the offense certainly to keep pace uh, with pretty much everybody in the country. And tra- and Trask look really good too. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, if, if you're a Gator fan, having that over Felipe Franks, I was going to say, oh God, you are it's night it's night and day. You're loving life. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, but there were you know I wasn't too impressed with Georgia. I wasn't too impressed with Auburn. Uh, especially Georgia, Arkansas is a bad team. Um, yeah. Alabama, they, they cruised. That game was, you know, they gave up on the cover, but. Yeah, that hurt us, Dino. That was a backdoor if I've ever seen. Over one. three on the locks of the week for the guys. Yeah. <laughs> Fade our locks. I think Alabama is going to be probably honestly more similar to the Alabama teams of the early 2010s when you have more of you know, the Blake Sims, A.J. McCarron, type quarterback, you know, you know, having Tua push the ball down the field. So they'll be a little different, rely a little more on the running game. But overall, those are my big takeaways from SEC, if you guys have anything. Yeah, again, I just thought, I mean, we've had Bama, Georgia, and last year LSU just be at the top. And, I mean, there was a clear tier one in, in Bama or LSU last year, and then there was a tier two, and then there was kind of everybody else. Like, SEC has not had much depth, but – yeah, Auburn didn't impress me that much, but they're they're going to be Auburn. Like I see them as at least like an eight win team, um, and then Georgia looked good. Florida, I think, is going to be an actual contender for the SEC this year. I think they're really going to cause people some problems. But like Kentucky is a, is a quality football team, and I think they're going to at least be in games. Um, and then you also got Tennessee, who who took care of business against South Carolina at South Carolina, and they had they had fans at that game. Um, you know, not not always an easy place to win, and I know South Carolina is not a great team, but I mean, in the past we've seen Tennessee lose that game. So if Tennessee is actually around to stay, that's a program that can really can really make some noise. Yeah, I think for me it was just uh, if there was one word if there's one word to describe my SEC my what I thought of the SEC this week, I think they pro- they proved to have a little bit more depth uh, than maybe I maybe I gave them credit for. Um, I you know, Alabama rolled. Uh, I think that game is not as close as the score indicated because. Uh, you got you guys should have had that. Alabama should have covered that. But um, you know, you know. teams like Miss State looked really good. But then on the on the on the flip side of the coin, uh, you have teams uh, like LSU and Texas A and M, who you thought maybe were going to be going to look a little better, not not look as good. So I think the the SEC West is going to be a very interesting interesting sub sub subdivision or division here than a conference. But on the whole, I think the SEC just kind of proved they're they're a little bit deeper. Um, than, than they have been in the past. And I think that's really exciting. It's going to make some, for some really good football. And, and, we'll, and we're, going to, we're going to come back to it later. But the slate for next week um, with ICC games is, is, is plentiful. It should, be, it should be another good good weekend for CBS. 
October 10th is going to be a fun day at college football. Oh yeah, we have we have we have two really really good weekends coming up, and I know Notre Dame's not playing this weekend, and there's some better marquee games the following weekend, but this this weekend's got some good got some good mm-hmm. football too. We'll get into it. Uh but going from that, you know, we talked about Kyle Pitts. He's obviously not a Heisman favorite, but you know he's probably going to be up for some awards. Uh, do you guys see anyone that's really impressing in terms of the Heisman? Is you know I. Don't think Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma. I think the media, you know, they get tired of the new thing. I think the example that I like to think of is I don't think there's any shot Giannis wins MVP in the NBA next year uh, just because, you know, they've saw his new thing. They're tired of it. They want to see something else. So it's the same thing with Westbrook and his triple doubles. You know, now everyone's used to Oklahoma quarterbacks. They're going to put up big numbers. They don't necessarily have to be the best player in college football. Um, I honestly haven't seen anyone really stand out too much to me. It, for me, it's still Trevor Lawrence's to lose because the award ultimately ultimately goes to the best player in college football, and you know, that's until someone proves any different, that's what he is. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's if Trevor Lawrence doesn't win the Heisman, it's like LeBron not winning the Heisman in the NBA, like he or the MVP in the NBA. Like you, you made that point. It's because he got pulled in the fourth, and he's just not getting enough tick to really put up massive numbers. Because if Trevor Lawrence wanted to. Against Wake Forest, he can put up eight touchdowns if he really wanted to, and he can run away with that Heisman. I just don't know if Dabo's going to let him do it. Um, so I'm with you. It's his to lose. I do think Kyle Trask is going to be around in that conversation. I think he's very good, and Florida looks like a different offense, and he could have some big-time moments in the SEC. And it's we've seen in the past that it comes down to a couple of Heisman moments, and he could have those type of moments in big-time games. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd agree. I think one, one, one thing I kind of noticed this year, uh, which which – it, maybe not as fun, but I think it is, is interesting is that you see a little bit more of the uh, the pocket passer uh, getting a little, probably a little bit more love and a little bit more action. I think guys like Trask and, and Costello and Ellinger and Lawrence, I, although I think, although I think they're all athletes, they kind of, they kind of like to stay home before they have, before they have to scramble where I think you got a guy like Justin Fields and Derek King um, and Spencer Rather, who are guys who like to move, um, move, move their pocket and, and can do, and can make plays with their feet. Um, I think it's. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what what kind of player um, ends up ends up winning the award because if Costello keeps putting up 625 yards um, and he doesn't turn the ball over, he's going to have a really compelling case. Um, and if Ellinger, you know, I don't think Ellinger is the best player, but Ian, you just mentioned the Heisman moment. You know, the Heisman moment stuff. If he has a big Heisman moment next week uh, against the Sooners and then continues to play really well and continues to bring this Texas back, Texas team back, um, and some tight games. I think, you know, I think he'll have a good case for it. So I think it's a little early to tell, but, uh, it seems like for sure there's, uh, there's kind of like these two different kind of quarterbacks. And I think it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see which one, which one prevails, but I do agree. I ultimately, you know, the long and short of it is that it's Trevor Lawrence is to lose just like these. said. um, it's, he's, he's the best player in the country. And, um, so long as he takes care of what he needs to take care of, uh, they, uh, I think he'll, he'll end up getting it, but we'll see. You mentioned a couple of interesting names there. I think the Costello argument is very interesting um, because he did, he did turn the ball over a couple of times. And if that's a trend, we'll see like, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Um, but then Ellinger, there's gotta be some sort of take with a grain of salt with, because like, just imagine the numbers Trevor Lawrence would be putting up in the big 12. And, and I mean, Elgar will have incredible numbers because he's a, he's a great player. And like when they like every time te- Texas touched the ball, I'm pretty confident they're going to get six. Yeah, 
I think I think another interesting name is, is Dylan Gabriel too. I mean, he's a he's probably like the only group of five guys see having a chance. But if he continues to go on a little bit of a tear, it's going to be hard to ignore his numbers. I know that um, he plays for U, uh, UCF, and and that's and that's that get, that leaves a bad taste in some people's mouth. But I mean, I think he can ball, and I I'd, I'd be interested to see where where he where he finishes this season uh, in the race. He's a baller. He is a baller for sure. Yeah. Uh, do you know what's uh, funny to me is that uh, Notre Dame actually poached Ian Book from Mike Leach. So I wonder if you, know, <laughs> if you guys subscribe to the multiverse theory that there's a parallel universe out there in which uh, Ian Book's a quarterback for Mike Leach and passes for over th- 5,000 yards and uh, 40 touchdowns a year. That's a super. That's a super interesting question. If if you put Ian Book in KJ Costello's spot in Death Valley, do you think he does what Costello did? I think that's. I think that's a really, really good question because I see them both. If you would have asked me a week ago, I say that KJ Costello and Ian Book are very similar game managers. KJ Costello probably having a few inches on him, but he kind of proved. Proved otherwise this week, and I think the, Ian. I think that's a really, really interesting question. I, I'd be, I'd be interested to see what you guys have to say on it. Dono, I mean, physically, physically, Ian Book is not that different than any of Mike Leach's past QBs who have put up stupid numbers in his offense. I think, you know, he, they're not asking him to make the forty-yard post route downfield. You know, Ian Book for the most part has been accurate in the 10, 15 yard range where. Almost all of these passes are thrown. You know, it gets up all these playmakers in space. I would almost want to see Notre Dame incorporate more of it in their offense. I know they might not have the personnel in terms of slot receivers, obviously we're way more tight end heavy, but you know, just a little more of those concepts of getting the ball to our playmakers, our running backs, uh, you know, people like Lawrence Keys and Avery Davis in space. I don't know. I I. I... I don't know. I, I did not believe in KJ Costello at all. And if you were if you, again, if you were asked me a week ago, I would have said I'd take Ian Book any day over KJ Costello. Um, but what I saw from KJ Costello, like, I mean, it just looked it looked different. That I just don't know if Ian Book could have replicated that. I think he Ian Book would have just gotten a little too frantic. Updating my take, I would say that when you have talent around Ian Book, like you've had like you've had in the past with. Chase Claypool and Cole Komet. Um, I think that he's been able to show that he can make good throws um, with some help some, with some receivers. So if you combine some talent with a, with a, with a pass offense that looks like Mike Leach, that looks like an air raid. I, if the if the receiver talent is there, like Dono said, it's a lot of short to intermediate. Um, I think it could be. It, 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 it could. It's possible that he could that he can look like Costello did this weekend. I definitely think there's a parallel universe where Ian Book's thrown for you know over 500 yards in the Mike Leach offense, where Notre Dame never comes calling. In I guess 2016, that was his class. Uh, so you know, while we're on the topic of Ian Book and Notre Dame, you know, this was obviously a quiet week. We don't have didn't have anything last week. Don't have anything this week, so we won't do our report card. We won't do our normal preview. Uh, the one thing that I think we should at least touch on, you know, there's a total of 18 new cases with Notre Dame players to bring it to, I believe it was 25 players were in isolation. So those are players who actually caught COVID, had the virus, had the quarantine for 10 days until they tested negative versus uh, 14 more, I believe, who were in quarantine, which means they were you know, 
found in contact tracing. They have to continue to get tested, but those players are actually out for 14. That amounts to just about a third, if not more, of the entire Notre Dame roster. But according to Brian Kelly, those guys are back Saturday. You guys just have Saturday, you know, a week before the October 10th game against Florida State. So do you guys have any thoughts on, you know, what that could mean just briefly? I was a little confused. I think I think I, I, if either of you can offer some clarity here, I think it'd be helpful for myself and all the listeners. I don't think I was a little confused by the, by the numbers and by who needed to stay out for how long. Um, but we can come back to that. I think like in my immediate knee jerk reaction is that everybody, if everybody's back by Saturday, um, which BK with Brian, which Brian Kelly seems to believe would be the case, if everybody's back by Saturday, um, and you can kind of get a full week of practice in, um, especially knowing that most. Most weeks, it seems like early in the week is a lot of review and film, and then the middle of the week is when you actually hit and put the pads on, and then Friday, you know, you have your normal Friday walkthrough. Um, especially if everybody's back and healthy and and can play by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I, I think you'll be in pretty good shape. And I think we're also having the benefit of getting a pretty bad Florida State team coming coming to South Bend. I think we'd be, I think we'd do just fine, um, even with two thirds of the roster, frankly. Yeah, I think we got um I think we got pretty lucky with the timing with the bye week and then Florida State, which is another bye week, pretty much. So we got uh we got we got pretty lucky with that and uh I saw something that Kelly was expecting, you know, ninety percent of the guys back and again we saw our depth versus USF. Like we we are deep and I, I think it will be in probably it's Florida State. Um I what I thought was interesting was that nothing was transmitted to the USF team in the game, which um, Kelly Kelly noted that he thinks seeing on-field transmission being low is, is definitely a good sign for college football as a whole, and that was just encouraging to see. Uh, but I think Notre Dame kind of dodged a bullet, and hopefully it, it, it's kind of the only time that this happens, but I think we'll be all right. All right. Yeah, I think the general consensus is as long as, you know, we haven't heard of any hospitalizations or – serious medical issues um, that I think things will be able to proceed just fine for the season. But it's moving on from there. That's kind of all we have right now in terms of Notre Dame. There's just not that much to talk about. Uh, we're going to get going into the Q and a, uh, would any of you guys like to start? Should I read the first question? I kind of see one that I- you go ahead. Yeah. If you got your eyes on one. So we'll go with Quinn Scallon's question. This is one he asked last week that we didn't get to in the podcast. The best and worst Notre Dame teams of the last decade. I think the you know, worst probably is going to be a consensus, but I think there's some interesting discussion for the best. Um, Q, great question. Um, I think the worst for me is certainly our freshman year team, that fall 2016 team. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just happy it happened when we were freshmen because we were all up from there. Um, but that was that – was, that sucked to be the first semester on campus for somebody who's been a football, a Notre Dame football fan for quite some time um, to, to, to what we finished four, four and eight, four and eight, uh, four and eight. That was a, that was certainly a tough pill to swallow and a sobering and sobering welcome to, to college football as a, as a student. So uh, for sure, my worst team is going to be the fall, fall 2016 team. Smoked the Miami hurricanes on Halloween weekend though. Did do that. Did do that. Somehow. Same team also lost to Duke, right, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, and Daniel Jones. Yep, Danny Dimes. 
we all agree on the worst team. I don't think we have to yeah. discuss that much further. So and then I'll get I'll give a take on the the best team. Um, I think that that BCS national championship team um, that went there was a good team, and I guess the other the other contender would be the uh, our junior team that went to the playoff. But I, I think that 2014 BCS national champion or 2012. BCS national champion team that lost to Alabama, um, went undefeated and lost to Alabama. I thought they were probably our best team. If I remember that game, Tyler Eifert got a offensive PI call called on him early that kind of shifted the tide of that, and then it was downhill from there, and Alabama just rolled us. But Alabama rolled everyone that year. Um, I actually think I had one loss. I don't remember who it was too, but uh, I think that was probably that was that was probably our best team. I would believe that defense was incredible, um, and they came away with some awesome wins um, that I don't think the uh, twenty eighteen team would have come away with. I, uh, I I agree with Ian. My my answer for sure is the two thousand twelve team. Um, that's one team. That's one team through my twenty two almost twenty three years that I can uh, I can go through and name almost every player. I think that team just like certainly sticks out in my head as one of my favorite teams ever across all sports to watch play. That was that was some of the funnest three or four months of football uh, ever. So I'm certainly going to go with the 2012 team. I'm going to be a little bit of a contrarian here. Uh, I think 2012 team, obviously, for you guys, you guys grew up following the team closer than I did. <laughs> but that team, you know, the reason why people love them so much was you know, the moments of that season were just so much more poignant than, you know, any other year we've had in the last decade, the overtime games, the goal line stands, you know, the whole story of the man Teo before, you know, obviously it came out, but he was catfished, but, you know, with his dead girlfriend, all those things happening all at once, it almost seemed like Notre Dame was a team of destiny, which I get, but you also had, you know, a weird quarterback situation. Offensive line was, okay not great um overall like if you look at the depth at each position i think you know if the 2018 team played that 2012 schedule i think i think they're a better football team i don't know if you know the chemistry and everything would have been enough i think they i think they go 12 and 0 against that schedule the only game that you know i don't know i think there's just something magical in the air in 2012 in norman oklahoma yeah, absolutely. I was I was going to bring that up. And book goes down and wins that game, but no. Overall, I think I think 2018 beats 2012 six and a half to seven times out of ten. But that, okay, so that's that's why that's what sets me apart. The 3013 win in Oklahoma in Norman, Oklahoma, yeah. on the big stage was something the 2018 team couldn't have done. Um, in that 2018 team, the, like our, the most notable road win was USC. Virginia Tech, probably. I mean, but like, yeah, USC wasn't good, but neither was Virginia Tech. But I, the 2012 team beats Virginia Tech there, right? Yeah. And I mean, we we had Sierra Wood just absolutely running, running all over the field. So like, I think I think that 2012 team, that Norman win was the main differential for me because in 2018, yeah, we took care of Michigan at home. Um, but we kind of just kind of found ourselves undefeated. Just keep keep going along the way, and I think that the Norman Oklahoma win in twenty twelve is a win that we haven't seen in the Brian Kelly era since. I'd agree with that completely. Also, just a, a quick side note here: our uh, our friends with with the Sons of Saturday podcast interviewed Pete Sampson last week, mm-hmm. um, and he uh, one one thing that he mentioned his favorite piece uh, that he's ever written was he did an oral history 
of the 2012 of the, of the 2012 uh, November, December, and January, like leading up to the national championship game. And if you're if you're if you're a student or former student or alumni um, who's been in South Bend the last ten years, reading the first section of that is an absolute must because it takes you through it's just quotes basically from the players, um, taking you through the, le- the senior day, um, winning on senior day, destroying who they've ever played on senior day going up into and then leading up to the USC game and eventually clinching that. It's just a really cool uh, story. Kind of give you, give you some insight from, uh, from what that, what that Saturday night was like on senior night going to CJ's and noose and stuff like that. So uh, something that everybody keep, uh, keep an eye on, take a look at if you, if you have a few minutes. All right. So next question, this one comes from one of our, uh, our best listeners, Mr. Mr. Felton, Mr. D. Um, this is, this is a question for me and Tom. Uh, and he asked, what current measures are being taken by the Bald Bold and Gold IT team to fix uh, Donovan's Wi-Fi? Um, Slevin? Yeah, so Tom, would you like to Yeah, Don, no, this question was for me and, me and Tom. Yeah, I don't think you. So uh, to my understanding, uh, the Bald part of this podcast has put Wi-Fi extenders um, in the basement um, and has used and has switched to his – computer audio rather than his headphone audio uh for my for microphone purposes um that should lead that should lead to better performance was there anything else that i missed Ian? yeah he just assured us that our sponsors had taken care of it and they had um put some boosters in there to really make sure nothing else had happened because um they were going to put all their money behind making sure donovan's wi-fi didn't break down yet again but uh that's that's what i heard that's what you heard slav i i don't know if we're fully convinced that it actually happened yeah i uh i guess i guess remains to be seen we'll uh We'll uh, we'll see. Ho- hopefully, hopefully that is the case. And he said he's had some successful Zoom calls this week for work. So we'll see if that continues. Thank you for the question, Mr. Felton. Yeah. Um. All right. What's another question we can? Uh, uh, let's see. I like I like this one. Uh, from Ryan Doyle, uh, Motown Motown alum, fellow Motown Morrissey Morrissey alum. Uh, keep one. Keep one and ditch the other two. Uh, USC, Stanford, and Navy. If you had to pick one of those games to keep, who you keep who you one, keeping. ditch the other two. Yeah, I keep. I no, I don't keep Stanford. Sorry, I keep USC pretty easily. It's it's one of the games that you know if you're a college football historian really helped spread it across the country. Just because you know you played, you know Notre Dame would play Michigan, U Chicago, Purdue. You know those are. Michigan State, all the other traditional rivalries Notre Dame has, at least regionally. But then every year, you know, Notre Dame would take a bye week before USC. USC would take a bye week before playing Notre Dame and take the train from South Bend to Los Angeles or Los Angeles to South Bend every year. And, you know, it was the biggest game in college football for decades, you know, regular season, maybe not the biggest and most intense rivalry. That might be Ohio State, Michigan, or the Iron Bowl. I think. Now, without a doubt, those are more hatred. There's m- more vitriol amongst the fan bases. But in terms of just a game with so much history and lore behind it, uh, I think you have to go with the USC game. I think you keep that. You know, I know Navy does favor. Stanford, honestly, they can kick rocks. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think you keep USC, even thinking recently, just like that's a game you get up for. Navy yeah. – as of recently, like love Navy, and that's an awesome game. Um, sometimes they can't hang with us, and sometimes, best case scenario, it's a devastating loss for Notre Dame. 
Um, and then Stanford, <laughs> Stanford, it's like honestly a game that I'm never that excited for. And they're better than us sometimes, and I hate it. Uh, but USC, like, it's always a respectable loss, and it's a great win. And it's a really fun game always. It's always a night game, Notre Dame Stadium. It's always a Thanksgiving weekend game in, South, in uh, Southern California. And it is a uh, – it's, it's a great game. So I keep USC. Yeah, so my answer for this is I'm going to go with USC as well. I think that the uh, the Navy game is, is important for us, and Notre Dame and Navy have a really special and important relationship, but um, it just doesn't offer this. I don't think it offers the same uh, national attention that, that USC and Notre Dame gathers every year. And um, for Stanford, like I think Stanford, Stanford's a great. You know, I just, I just, I don't think you get up the same hype for the for the Stanford game that you get for, you get for the USC game. Um, of course, when Stanford comes to South Bend at seven thirty on a Saturday in uh, in October, that's always a really really fun day. Um, but I'd still say that USC game is more important. I think that Doyle, while this was Ryan Doyle, while this was a really good question, I I think throwing Michigan in the mix would have yeah. been would have been an interesting one because I have I find I have a very hard time not playing not playing the Michigan game. Um, to me, that's like one of the most one of the, one of the best and imp- most important games that we played too. I still think my answer is USC, but I think throwing Michigan in the mix makes the question a little harder. I'm with I you. agree with that. Michigan over Stanford for sure. Um. All right, is it back to me now? Yes, sir. Yeah. All right, I have a question from listener and Twitter follower Retro Sports Guy. Uh, he says nope. he's acting like he's Retro Sports Guy. <laughs> yeah, he he okay. structured this Never like he's calling him. into he, he structures this like he's calling into some radio show. Hey guys, big fan. College football or college was a long time ago for me, but I have some fond memories. What made Fall Saturdays in South Bend so special for you guys? And any update on Kelly's leather jacket? Um, great question from Retro Sports Guy. Um, seems like he really knows the pod well. But uh, <laughs> free question. Um, Slub, you want to go first? Um, I can. Or does anybody else really? I mean, I'll just a- say I think I think it's a pretty easy answer for me. Um, it's just like first of all, me growing up, a Notre Dame fan. Fall Saturdays were my favorite thing in the world, whether I was on campus or on the couch and having my, my grandma yell at the refs like they had just stolen her, her lunch money or something. But, I mean, I absolutely <laughs> loved them. While on campus as a student, my favorite thing was it was like the most unifying thing I could have imagined. I mean, there were 115,000 people in South Bend with one goal in mind, and that was a, a win on Saturday. And didn't matter who you were. It was just everybody came, whether they were going to the game or not. Um, just to be there, just to be at the atmosphere and the excitement and almost a no rules mentality um, from NDSP, which was fantastic. But <laughs> everybody was literally there for one reason, and that was just kind of a, a unified love for the Irish. So I think that's probably my best answer. And then an, an update on Brian Kelly leather jacket. Um, I don't know. Absolutely decking the punter for USF was kind of a step closer to him rocking a leather jacket on the sideline, I think. Um, all right, so I think I have a I have a I have a three headed answer to this question, um, and I think that for me, like as a student, I think one of the coolest things, um, for sure, was kind of the student tailgates that would happen before you get to go to before you go to the parking lot, um, when it's kind of just you and your in your grade and uh, and the rest of the, and you know and and a good portion of the student body all tailgating together at some at somebody's house. 
Um, to me, that was always a, a boatload of fun. Good to catch up with everybody for, for, from the week um, and get to, get to see everybody in the same place. And that's always where I kind of felt there was a bunch, boatload of energy early in the day. Um, to me, those those were always an absolute blast. And those are, that stuff I'll never forget. The second part of my answer is to what makes South Bend's fall Saturdays and South Bend so special is there's a real family aspect in that. Um, in, in, in everything that happens on Saturday, you get a lot of family coming to town. Um, you got a lot of families getting together to watch the game. It's uh, it's really nice. It's really nice when that happens when everybody gets to kind of kind of come around together for one goal, uh, like Ian mentioned, uh, to get the uh, to get an Irish win. And either when your family comes in or when your friends' family families come in, it's it's always just another really good really good time to catch up with everybody um, that you might not otherwise have. Um, and then for me, the the third thing that makes Saturdays in in, uh, in Notre Dame so special is when you get eighty thousand people. Yelling, here come the Irish and Notre Dame right before kickoff. Um, to me, like that, the first time I heard that, I had chills at head to toe, um, and I still get chills head to toe every time. Every time that happens, so for me, that's that's definitely the case. Is is uh, is when we get everybody right together right before kickoff, right before they play ship up to Boston. That's kind of my my peak of my peak of the day. Uh, more often than it's not. Yeah, I mean, you guys hit on a bunch of the main points that. And I can touch on, you know, the student tailgates are a ton of fun. I just think the entire day, you know, not growing, me not growing up, a uh, hardcore Notre Dame fan, you know, I'd watch them if they were playing a big team or, you know, if that was pretty much it, honestly. I, you know, I watched a lot of the 2012 season, watched a lot of 2015 when I was considering going here. But, you know, the reason that I fell in love so quickly is, you know, the entire day and you know, the question retro sports guy framed this really well. He's a you know, fall Saturdays. He's not just talking about Notre Dame football. You know, it's that whole day, you know, you wake up, honestly, not even that whole day. It's that whole weekend. Even from Thursday, you feel the energy start to build on campus. You get out of your last class on Thursday and it's just a slow build up through that. You know, Friday you're meeting with friends, parents, you're going out with your friends. And then Saturday morning, you know, you wake up, it's, 7 a.m., the sun may be up, it may not be up. You're trying to kick off the rest of the alcohol from that's still in your body from the night before. And then you're just with your best friends, you know, all day. You know, the parents are looking out for you. I know the student tailgates, first time I was there, you know, I was like, you know, this is awesome. Their name's the best place in the world. And then going from there over to the parking lot where all the main tailgating happens, it's literally as far as the eye can see. And I guess awe-inspiring is the best way to describe it. You know, I fell in love that first game day. And then as Tom said, I guess my answer is kind of three-pronged as well. You know, that whole weekend, you know, there's so much energy, such a buildup. It's awe-inspiring by the time, you know, before you even get to kickoff, then then there's the game on the field. You know, there's it's so much more than just watching a team play football when it comes to Notre Dame and fall Saturdays. And it's – and. And just as a as a post grad, even though you know I'm not sure it's even replicated that well in South Bend, but it's just kind of proven that no matter no matter what you do, if you're not in South Bend, you can't come close to replicating it. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's that was that was a that was a tough sobering thing to figure out uh, yeah. week one week one against Duke. Yeah. Um, so just kind of more incentive to get back as, as soon as possible, as soon as it's safe, and, um, and to get back to that because fall Saturdays there are are extremely special i think i'll uh i'll maybe ask one more question slub you can ask one more after this if you want but one of our uh listeners asked um yvonne volner asked uh 
what actor would play Brian Kelly in a movie? Do you, do you have a good answer for this? Um, yeah, I thought about this one a little. Uh, not Alexa. I don't know anyone that's you know currently Brian Kelly's age that I'd pick. It's almost like I would pick an older Matt Damon. Okay. Right? An, aged, an aged Matt Damon. An older Matt Damon. You know, a lot of people like to say, oh, I'd pick a young George Clooney to play guy. I'd pick an old Matt Damon, I think. There are some similarities. Kelly kind of has that, you know, Irish Catholic vibe. Obviously, Goodwill Hunting. It's kind of his whole vibe, you know, from Boston and everything. Even though I believe Kelly is originally from Boston, if I'm not mistaken. That he is. He's uh, he's a St. John's prep guy. Go, uh, go Eagles. That's what I thought. So I think, you know, that could play into it. I'll have to see. You know, I don't think Matt Damon's going to go on any drug binges and look terrible by the time he's sixty. So. I think he might play be a good Brian Kelly. Uh, he kind of has a very matter-of-fact way of saying things the same way Kelly does. I think that could play well. But honestly, like this is this is a tough question. It was also a good question by Yvonne. Yeah, very good question. Uh, Ian, do you have do you have an answer? Give me one second. Yeah, I, I thought about this a little bit. So I initially was going to go with uh, James Corden. But uh, I don't know if that – he's too nice of a guy, I think. So what uh, I did a little bit more research probably than you guys on this question. But um, a couple years ago when Sean Spicer was the uh, communications director for Donald Trump, Melissa McCarthy did an SNL skit. That's um, a really – I like where this is going. So I think Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer is probably what I would want to get uh, play Brian Kelly. I think she had the demeanor and honestly the look to uh, – really really portray his essence very well yeah i think i think i Ian, i think you hit that right in the head i'm gonna change my answer up um i was kind of much much like donna looking for a boston connection i was looking through the departed cast i think that somebody who can make we need we need a haircut um we need a haircut we need to maybe change up the change up the face just a tad but i think Jack Nicholson certainly has the demeanor to play an angry Brian Kelly. Um, and I think he'd do a pretty good job on it. Um, just given that I got to see him, uh, see what he's done in some other movies. And I, I know that he can get angry uh, if you've watched uh, Anger Management. You, you know that well. So I'll go with Jack Nicholson. It's probably a Notre Dame fan, too. And the, the part of he dies wearing a Notre Dame t-shirt. Spoiler alert. One of, the, one, of the, one of the best moments for uh, Notre Dame. Um, yeah, another highlight. Like, also, the uh, what's his name? Martin, in, um, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen in uh, the West Wing. All right, this is a this is a tough one. Final question, um, you think? Yeah. So we so there's two. I think we should save uh, the rocks question maybe for next week. We can come back to that one. All right. So um, I'll uh, no, it's a good one though. We should we should. I want to give that one some more serious discussion. Um, but one that we should also touch on, uh, which I think will lead to some heated debate. Uh, who? <laughs> shout out to listener Claire Rooney um, she asked best women's flag football team at Notre Dame well well, only one team went undefeated each of the last two regular seasons right right because that's what matters right the regular season that, te- that, te- that team also forfeited a game um, never did I? a game hold on um, did you guys play um, I don't know yeah did you guys play Batten the Baden Bulldogs in the playoffs? No, no, because I played the Baden Bullfrogs. Oh uh, yeah, the Baden Bullfrogs. The I, also, Baden. I also, I also, I also know my team's mascot. Oh uh, yeah, sorry, excuse me. Uh, did you guys play the Baden Bullfrogs in the playoffs? This is a yes or no answer. I think that 
the whirlwinds may have run into the buzzsaw that was I played some team wearing the green. Bullfrogs. It's yeah, just no. opponents for us, faceless opponents. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, you don't remember great teams because of their regular season performances, Dono. You remember them because of their playoff performances. And there was one team that made it to the championship out of out of these three. And it actually, excuse me, the Bad and Bullfrogs actually beat the team that Dono and Slevin coached. Two separate teams, actually. There was two separate victories. Um, two entirely different game plans. A lot of work put in by the coach. Uh, I mean, I just I, I rest my case there. I rest my case. Do you did you win the title? Uh, we made it to double overtime. Lost an extra point. Stuff happens, but uh, we I can't say we weren't the better team out there. I, I think the Weasels have a better case as best twenty nineteen flag football team not to win the title. I strongly I strongly disagree with that. I think well the Welshman. Uh, World wins were certainly the best team to not to not win the title. Um, I, they ran into a very very difficult bed in Bullfrogs, um, but probably a few plays a few plays away from uh, from fixing the bad in the game uh, and and get and getting into the stadium and t- take care of business ourselves. Uh, for sure, one of the more talented teams uh, in the entire league. Uh, just a few plays away, and probably a few more uh, a little a little bit more time spent by the coaches behind the bench. Um, for, for consecutive years rather than just picking up brand new senior year probably would have also gone a long way. Uh, but I'm for sure back in the whirlwinds uh, and it's not close. Uh, I'll wear my whirlwinds polo next week to the podcast for sure. I'll wear my weasels polo. Do you have a bullfrogs polo? Yeah, I got two. I've got two. And they say coach Waller on the back and it, uh, it's, sh- I, I should have, I should have a championship ring. I should have a championship ring to go along with it. But, um, it's about the name on the front, Ian. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's way more about the name on the front than it is on the back. Come on, we know that. But, hey, Claire Rooney, great question. Go Whirlwinds. All right. So that's our Q&A for the week. Uh, do you guys want to move on to our picks? Yes, picks. Best part of the week. But, well, no, well, kind of. When we, when we get them right. Which we've struggled to do thus far. All right. You want me to take over? Yeah, Tom, do you want to run through just real quickly the five games that we're all picking them? We'll go in depth on each. I certainly do. So just for uh, for last week's sake, Dono went two and four um, with a loss in my a loss in the Miami Florida State game, a loss in the Tennessee South Carolina game, a loss in the Pitt Louisville game, a win for the in the, uh, in the Cincinnati Bearcats versus Army, a win in the Kentucky Auburn game and his lock of the week lost. Ian was Ian made a good uh, had a good week, best one in, between all of us, 3 and 3. He was a uh, a win in the Miami Florida State game, a win in the South Carolina Tennessee game, a win in the Pitt Louisville game, a loss in Army Cincinnati, a loss in Kentucky Auburn and a loss of his lock of the week which was also Alabama. Myself, I was also 2 and 4. I am struggling uh, I would encourage anybody listening to continue to fade me. I had a win in the Miami Florida State game, a win in the Tennessee South Carolina game, and then the losses across the board for Louisville Pitt, Army and Cincinnati, Kentucky Auburn, and my lock of the week wasn't even freaking close. So, <laughs> lock of the week almost almost lost by as much as they were favored by. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about it. We're gonna we're gonna start fresh. I'm very confident in this week's picks, but that'll bring this week. Uh, so this week, uh, the re- that brings the records to Dono at six and six. Uh, he's he's the clubhouse leader right now. Ian at five and six, and myself at four and eight. Um, 
side note here, uh, Ian's going to pick an extra game this week, so he gets back on track. One of his games two weeks ago now, was it, uh, got postponed due to COVID, so he's going to throw in an extra pick, so that way he gets he gets caught up to speed, and we're all will have played the same amount of games, uh, 18, 18 games, uh, or made 18 picks by the end of, by the end of next week. Um, so the games are going to be picking this week. Uh, these lines were pulled off of FanDuel this morning uh, around 11.30 a.m. Eastern. So that would have been Wednesday. Um, again, they're subject to change, so don't hold us to it, but we're going to pick them as they lie as of then. Uh, we have Auburn traveling to Athens, Georgia, uh, with the Bulldogs favored by six and a half. Uh, Texas A&M traveling to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. Alabama favored by 17.5. Navy going to Colorado to play Air Force. Navy favored by 6.5. Old Miss going to Kentucky to play uh, playing Lexington. Uh, Kentucky favored by 5.5 at home. And Virginia Tech traveling to Duke. Um, Virginia Tech being 10.5 point favorites. And then we'll also offer a lock of the week. All right, fellas. Anyone want to kick us off? I will go with the uh, a quick Georgia-Auburn pick. I thought Georgia, yeah, they got off to a slow start, but once they figured it out, they absolutely started to roll. Like I was keeping track of that score, and it just kept going up and up and up and up. JT Daniels uh, is now medically cleared to play. I think he will probably step in and make a difference for them. I wasn't impressed by Auburn against Kentucky all that much, so I'm going to take Georgia minus 6.5. All right. D? I will, I will take Auburn plus 6.5. Seems about right. Naturally. Uh, I thought they improved as well over the game against Kentucky. I thought Georgia's offense was bad. I think they have a lot of holes to fix against an Arkansas team that, quite frankly, might not win a game this year. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'm going to ride with Ian. Ian, we may be heading in a sink or swim direction again, just as we were last week. Um, I'm going to ride with Ian and the the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, I think their biggest glaring issue was a quarterback, especially in the first half. Um, to only have put up five points uh, was was quite gross. Um, but with that said, I think having given JT Daniels coming back, he's he's a real he's a, excuse me JT Daniels, he's a real starter. Um, and I think as long as he's healthy and he's ready to play, I see no reason why the Bulldogs don't roll at home uh, against a Auburn team that was was nothing special to me last week. Um, I think it'll be a much much different game, especially for them having to travel. Uh, to, to Georgia. I think if the game's in Auburn, maybe a different story. Uh, but I'm still, I'm certainly going to take the Bulldogs at home, laying the six and a half. I think the six and a half is a good number, too. I'm glad it's not touching seven yet. Um, Bama, uh, and I'm going to Bama. Um, I really liked what I saw out of Bama early, but they gave up backdoor cover. Um, they were just, they just let it slip a little bit. A&M was super sloppy against an always awful Vandy team. And if you make those types of mistakes against Bama, Bama will absolutely stomp on you and ruin you. And so I'm going to go with Bama minus 17 and a half. I hate that it's 17 and a half. I wish it was 16 and a half, but um, I'm, I think they're going to, I think they'll roll. Should have, should have recorded on Monday. It was 16 and a half on Monday. It, it's up to, I saw it at 18 and a half on FanDuel like an hour ago. All right. We're going to pick it. We're going to pick it at 17 and a half. Yeah. We're picking it at 17 and a half. Uh, I'm also going to ride with Bama. I think, you know, in the first three quarters, their offense was rolling. Their receivers, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, probably the best duo of receivers in the country. I don't think Mike Elko will be able to stop them. I think Alabama, I think they might have caught some heat. I don't think Saban likes not blowing teams out. I don't think he likes AM. I still think that, you know, he's holding yep. 
resentment from losing to them back in 2012. Obviously, it's Nick Saban. I think Bama rolls by at least 21. I, uh, did you say they had the best, possibly the best receiving core in college football? I feel like I've heard that before with, with guys named Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs. Um, I too will be riding the Crimson Tide minus 17 and a half. I agree with D. This is, uh, this is a three, three or four touchdown game. Um, I think, I think AM, uh, I think AM is, is not, is not worth their 16th ranking that's that's sitting next to them um i think alabama has no problem rolls in there mac, mac jones looks looking around they'll kind of sit in that profile pro, pro style offense a little bit too run run the ball and i think defense plays well uh, alabama at home uh by seven by by at least 17 and a half if not more i uh, probably buy three touchdowns so i'll go i'll go alabama we're all locked up on that one nice all right um i navy versus air force this is a tough game and i honestly haven't made a pick Yet, um, I'm still deciding, but I'm going to make a decision right now. I think these games, like these service academy games, are usually pretty close. But Air Force not having played a game is kind of a big deal for me right now. So I think I'm going to go with Navy. Navy. Um, and what is it, Slip? Six and a half? It is six and a half. Yeah, I'll go with Navy. Um, just because I don't think Air Force – I think Air Force will come out slow. They haven't played actually live football yet. So I think it's a huge advantage for Navy. I also like Navy. Uh, we saw the same thing happen to Navy. You know, the first game of the season for these triple option teams is also, you know, usually about getting their timing down. Air Force, they were really good last year. They won 11 games, but at the same time, they lost a ton. They had a bunch of people opt out due to COVID. Uh, overall, I think Navy having some games under their belt and this being Air Force first game plus the opt outs, I think Navy covers the six and a half. I too will be rolling with the midshipmen. Um, like Ian said, I think having played a game makes a difference. Um, and I think, despite not looking very good against what's proving to be a very good BYU team um, in in one of those first weeks, I think the Navy looked much better um, coming coming back uh, and beating Tulane. Uh, I think I'll just I'm going to go with the midshipmen. I just think that. It's, they're going to be too much, uh, especially given that Air Force has has yet to play yet to play football game. So I, I too will be going with Navy. Uh, one thing I do like to point out is uh, if you're a listener to other college football podcasts, such as the Cover Three podcast, uh, Tom Fernelli is one of the hosts. He's got a, uh, a betting tip. Uh, Service Academy games. I think the under hits the the under the under the under and service Academy games. It's more than two thirds, if not three quarters of the time. Um, he's got a principal on service Academy unders. So I saw it at 45 and a half earlier. It started at 48. It's continuing to fall. Might want to jump under early, but just want to throw it out there. Good tip. Slav, um, Ole Miss, Kentucky. I'm going to keep it brief. Kentucky hand with Auburn. Um, yeah, Ole Miss can score, but I think they're just going to struggle to win football games if they, they can't stop anybody. They'll be a fun team, but I just think they're going to, Struggle to win. I think Kentucky's too good to lose. Um, and I think maybe they went by a touchdown. So I think Kentucky minus five and a half is a good bet for me. Uh, I honestly think this one turns into more of a shootout than people expect. Just because Kentucky didn't do a great job of slowing down Auburn's passing game last week. I honestly don't think Terry Wilson's that great of a passer. He had a pick against Auburn. Should have had another on the goal line but it was called back. Uh, I got Ole Miss. I don't know if they'll win, but I think they cover. It's shootout. I like the over in this game as well. Um, I am all aboard the lane train this week. 
Um, I will, I too will be riding with the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, I think that uh, they're going to keep putting up points, and I think that Kentucky's going to have some issue with that. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep pace. Um, I actually would consider sprinkling the money line here uh, for, for the Ole Miss Rebels, uh, but at least um, I think they'll keep it keep it within five and a half. Uh, so I'll go. I'll go with Ole Miss. Yeah, I don't think the money line's a bad bet if Ole Miss win. I mean, if Ole Miss covered, I think they win. I also think there won't be bad value there. I'm not exactly sure what the money line is right now, but uh, uh, if especially Kentucky takes more money uh, throughout the, through the rest of the week, uh, there should be pretty good pretty good value on the money line for Ole Miss in a game that in a game that should be a one score game. I think. Yeah. Um, all right. So Virginia Tech at Duke, correct? Yep, at Duke. Virginia Tech at Duke. Um, Duke is getting 10.5, and I'm going to ride with the Blue Devils. Um, hey, I'm they're, they're, uh, they're, they're well coached. Uh, we saw against us week one. They have some talent. Um, and I don't, I don't think Chase Bryce lets them fall out of this game. So I think 10.5 is, is too big of a number, so I'm taking Duke. The Hokies have a vengeance for this game. They lost 38-10 to 10 to the Blue Devils last year. Honestly, that's a terribly embarrassing loss. As Notre Dame fans who have lost to Duke in recent memory, we can say that when they were <laughs> football team. Uh, they're much closer geographically. Uh, I think they both recruit the North Carolina and Virginia areas pretty hard, so there's a little more, uh, I guess, tension there. I, I see VT coming out with a vengeance. I think NC State's a better team than Duke, and Virginia Tech cooked them down 23 players. Their quarterback didn't even play, Hendon Hooker. They get him back, and I think they beat Duke. I think they roll them too. I uh, I too will be rolling with the Hokies. Uh, Hendon uh, Hooker coming back uh, is huge. Um, shout out to our guy Pat Finn, uh, big DT guy himself. I'm sure he'll be he'll be all juiced up for this game to have his starting quarterback back. Um, but just just the amount of guys that they were missing last week for them to be coming back against a Duke team that's not that's not as good as the NCC State team we play uh, that they played last. Uh, I think the VT is going to absolutely roll. I would expect. I honestly, uh, this may be a bit of a hot take, but I would. I could see them. I could see them winning by three touchdowns. Um, so we'll see. But I, I, we got the. I got the Hokies for sure. At this point, I'm liking you guys not going with me because it's just separation. One way. It must other. be nice. It's separation. It, yeah. Yeah. It must be nice to to be able to to go the go the other way. Yeah, uh, on some games, I, I'm I'm locked. Me and D are pretty much all locked up outside of the Auburn Georgia game. All right, so my lock of the week. This is another spot. For you know separation. what? Yeah, um, Ian, 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 you're gonna give two locks, correct? Yeah, I'm gonna give two locks. All right, so I'll all start. Right, give, with me, give me the one. My, give me the one that's gonna go down. The one that's gonna go down is Oklahoma minus seven versus Iowa State. Um, I think Oklahoma. Yeah, they're they're a good team. Um, seven yeah, or seven and a half. I got them at seven. Um, I'll take seven and a half too. I'll take seven and a half too. Um, I, oh, Iowa State is, is a cheeks football team, and they saw that we saw that against Louisiana Week One. Um, Oklahoma's gonna be mad. They're undefeated after a loss um, in the Lincoln in the Lincoln Riley era. Um, I think they should roll, and they if they went they went out, they probably still win the Big Twelve. So I think they're gonna come out and look like a different football team than they looked last week. So I think taking Oklahoma at minus seven or minus seven and a half. Oklahoma is. On the road at Iowa State, at Iowa State, or they are. They, they, I think they're at Iowa State. At Iowa State, I'm not okay. positive, but uh, I think they're. I think they're in um, Ames. Ames. Yeah. And my other pick again, I'm going to back a team that lost week. I'm going to go with LSU minus twenty and a half. Um, 
was a good team. They had a lot of new starters. That had 18 lost them last year. Um, they're going to favorable matchup, and uh, I'm going to take them. I'm going to take them to cover 20 and a half. Um, I believe they play in Arkansas, and those are my two picks. All right, I this is a team I really hate picking because deep down I hate the University of Cincinnati Bearcats athletics, but this <laughs> week they're matched up against the South Florida Bulls. And oh, wow. <laughs> having watched South Florida play, Notre Dame could have named the score in that game. Uh, UC, you know, they only put up 24 points on Army. The spread's 21 and a half in this game, but USF's defense is one of the worst I've seen. I don't think UC will necessarily struggle to score. I bet Notre Dame transfer Michael Young scores another touchdown. So that's my lock of the week. You, University of Cincinnati Bearcats minus twenty one and a half against the Bulls. I think that, I think it's a good bet too. I, I flirted with that one. I I think this USF team is one of the worst football teams to walk the face of the earth. <laughs> I think that's a good take. The uh, my only worry on that one would be that that ha- that half point in both of your in both of your picks could be could prove to be fateful. Um, I hope it's not, uh, but it could get that that half point could hurt. Well, I hope it doesn't, but we'll see. Um, I'm lock. My lock of the week is going to be the SMU Mustangs. They got Memphis coming to town. Number twenty-five Memphis coming to town, um, and SMU is two and a half point home dogs. Um, this is again something I would consider sp- uh, sprinkling the money line on. Uh, I think that SMU is pretty good. They're three and zero. I think they're pretty good football team, uh, and I think they uh, they they. I think they're going to win the game outright, but I, I think for sure they'll. Uh, They'll, they'll keep they'll keep this one tight. Uh, so I'll go I'll go with the uh, I'll go with the SMU Mustangs as my uh, as my lock of the week at home as as a as a home dog. All right, so that's all we got. Um, once again, thank you guys for listening. You can choose to trail or fade our picks however you please. Uh, next week we'll be back with an actual game preview. We'll get to, you know, even more of your questions in Q and A. But until then, uh, that's all we got. Thank you guys.